Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to be going over the song Love by the Smashing Pumpkins from their album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. So, uh, you know, uh, one of our previous episodes, we did Pearl Jam, which uh, is one of Jason's favorite bands. Uh, And so we we started with a little disclaimer to make sure that everyone knew that that was the case. So we must start once again with the disclaimer for this episode that I am probably one of the biggest Smashing Pumpkins fan that's ever lived. (laughs) This This is my band. This is the band that, you know, started everything as far as I'm concerned of like my 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 appreciation of, of music, of, of rock music and of, um, you know, the whole grunge movement of the nineties. Like I was, uh, I was 13 when this album came out. Well, 12 going on 13, I guess I should say. Um, and I mean, it was, I I was the perfect age at the perfect time for the perfect record for this time to come out. So, so it's kind of, you know, inevitable that this would be like my band. I I remember, uh, the album coming out and I remember hearing Smashing Pumpkins and it was in, in the age where I heard of a lot of music from MTV, right? Like actually seeing music videos and things. And I remember Smashing Pumpkins, uh, I remember Siamese Dream, especially because of the the whole ice cream truck. Yeah, the video. Today video. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so that was that was like my introduction to Smashing Pumpkins, and then when uh, Melancholy came out, uh, it was certainly the Tonight Tonight video. Yeah. Um, that they was had, everywhere. Yeah, it was it was on all the time. Certainly turning on the radio and listening to them. This album had a slew of singles from it. Um, it's important to note this was a double album. Uh, something not very common uh, at the time, especially yeah. for for a '90s rock band to try to put out. Yeah, the, the last like really successful double album, uh, you know, was in the it, it, at least the '80s, possibly even the '70s. Um, it, you know, barring like live albums and greatest hits and all that kind of thing, but like a a band saying we have enough material to fill two compact discs with. I mean, that just wasn't done, you know, prior to this. So when Billy Corgan, the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, was like, you know, the next Smashing Pumpkins album is going to be a double record, people immediately just like started making fun of them, like, you know, morons, you know? Like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is in some ways a pretentious thing to do. And that is, to me, kind of one of the qualities. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean it in a, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I don't mean it in a pejorative way. I mean, it's one of the qualities of the Smashing Pumpkins is they're not afraid to do something really ambitious that uh, catches people off guard. Um, And speaking of the double albums, yeah, when you look back and think about famous double albums that you know, like the the Beatles, you know, self-titled, the White Album, Genesis, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Pink Floyd, The Wall. There's there's rock albums out there like Led Zeppelin, Physical Graffiti. Um, It's a lot of albums, for the most part, that try to tell some kind of story. Right. There's like a beginning, middle, even even one of the albums that we already talked about in one of the previous episodes, Quadrophenia, um, you know, has a story to it. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's characters and uh, all that stuff, but but not so much with, with Melancholy. It's... 
yeah it's it yeah it's a collection of songs uh that are kind of touch on every uh, a, a, a pretty wide expanse of genres yeah genres uh motifs you know um uh emotions you know you've got uh, you've got songs on here that are like pretty much unbridled rage you know like white hot rage songs then you've got like these beautiful uh love songs and then you've got just like uh, i guess i guess maybe the the only thing that's really missing is like a political song but Mm. i would say overall if there's a there's a song for everyone on out of the 28 songs on this record you know which is uh, just just saying that out loud is kind of ridiculous like 28 songs on one record all of them some of them like eight minutes long (laughs) like i mean these are not like you know 30 second songs like this is like really long stuff uh you know you you you, you tend to to see like how pretentious that really is to think that you could pull that off. Yeah, and a, a quote from uh, Billy Corgan that I found and kind of looking through and and kind of his take on the album is he said melancholy is weird in that it's a combination of nihilism, sentimentality, and epic hope. That was where the generation was at the moment, and I, I feel like you know despite despite the fact that sometimes it's uh, a little dangerous, I think to some kind sometimes takes the take the artist's word for it rather yeah. than kind of especially your own, when it's Billy Corgan yeah, <laughs> rather than your own listening experience um I feel like it does kind of sum it up well as uh, this was kind of a monster album that made a big impact on a lot of people um that had all these different songs and different emotions and didn't try to just do one thing or tell one story or capture one kind of feeling and I think that's probably why this album has endured as as well as it has. people who maybe aren't so uh musically savvy uh there tends to be a uh a huge influx of bands that are from the uh west coast you know lots of bands come out of los angeles and california in general um and they have like a very specific kind of sound and the same thing with uh bands that come out of the east coast mostly coming from places like new york uh they also have like their own kind of sound but the smashing pumpkins are a chicago band and you don't really see that too often they're coming from the middle of the country and 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 all that but they they started in chicago uh billy corgan was a poor goth kid growing up in you know a pretty bad part of the city uh with a dad who depending on what Billy Corgan feels that day, whether it was one of the greatest dads ever or physically abusive, one of the two, (laughs) depending on the interview and the day. Um, Billy, you know, didn't have like that, you know, that great of a life growing up, but he was very musical and he had a band and all this stuff that he did. And uh, he met this kid, James Eha, and they started writing songs together. And uh, and James knew a bass player. So they got a bass player into the band named Darcy Retsky. And that kind of formed the core uh, group of the Smashing 
Pumpkins. They played their first show ever. Um, they did not have a drummer. They played with a drum machine. And uh, this the, the owner of the venue they played uh, came up to them and said, you guys were great, really liked your sound, uh, but you can't play here again until you get a real drummer. So then they go get a drummer named Jimmy Chamberlain. And uh, Jimmy played with a, a lot of like jazz bands and a lot of big bands. So he had a whole different kind of you know sound to him. And he also didn't know anything about rock music when he joined. Uh, you know, Billy had to like give him like a primer. He was basically like, here's some, <laughs> here's some rock stuff. Check this out. And Jimmy, of course, you know, he was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. And uh, so that, that was the band. And they started, to, you know, playing shows and touring around the local Chicago area and, you know, making a name for themselves. They made their first record in 1991 called Gish, uh, which was produced by Butch Vig. And, uh, you know, some more musical savvy people may remember Butch Vig. He's the drummer and one of the primary uh, songwriters of uh, the band Garbage. And he also produced a tiny little record that you may have heard of called Nevermind by Nirvana. And uh, Gish actually came out before Nevermind. And uh, Billy has numerous times said that Nirvana might not have selected Butch Vig to produce Nevermind if they hadn't first produced. Uh, Gish. Anyway, Gish was a moderate hit. It was it did well on college radio, and um, you know had a couple of songs on it that people enjoyed, but it wasn't massive by any means. But the reason that it kept selling and did so well is because the Pumpkins toured for nearly two years on this record, and that's a really long touring cycle. I mean, most bands, well, like like they do it for like you know six months, nine Mm, months. Yeah, that's like probably like the average, right? So I mean, two years playing the same twelve songs over and over again, like that's got to be pretty grating. uh, then they released uh, the Smash Pumpkins went back in the studio once again with Butch Vig to produce their second record, which was called Siamese Dreams. <laughs> Because Gish was moderately successful, they had more money, more time, better studio, all that, and they they took advantage of that, and they took a really long time to make Siamese Dream. Uh, I think at one point, they almost got booted from the label because... You know, the label was like, it's been months now and we haven't got a record. And Billy's like, just one more guitar we track. Need to, yeah, we need to lay down the 20th layer of this. <laughs> and uh, if you listen to Siamese Dream or any of the hit singles on Siamese Dream, like Today or Cheryl Brock or whatever, um, you know, lots of like, I mean, you can just hear like how much layering was done in the record. Even if you're not a musical person, you can tell like, wow, this guitar sounds really heavy. Yeah, it's a big, it's a yeah. big sound. Yeah, that's because there's 20 of them. <laughs> So they spent all this time making this record and Siamese Dream came out and then, you know, on the strength of basically mostly just today, which is one of their their 
their most prominent, most well-known singles. Um, they, uh, you know, after the success of Today came out, uh, you know, they had the, the popular music video, which you mentioned earlier yep. in the episode. Uh, and that was another long tour. In, I, I yeah. think they toured for like they a year. They toured for a long yeah. time yeah. on uh, uh, for Siamese Dream. Then, you know, after the success of Siamese Dream, they, they had... They had they had everything they needed. They had money. They had clout. They had indie cred. They had uh, charting singles. You know, they were a very successful band at that point in time. And that's when Billy was like, you know, I'm gonna make a double record for the next thing. So in between Siamese Dream and and the album that they end up making, Melancholy, they released a, a B sides collection called Pisces Iscariot, which was our first glimpse into as as. Smashing Pumpkins fans back in the day, which are, it was our first glimpse into how much material Billy was writing at the time. They basically were able to release a full length record, uh, Pisces Iscariot, that's just on songs that they just didn't put on to the first two records. I mean, usually when you have a B-sides collection, it's it's deeper into your career, but Billy already had so much material that was just laying around, not released. And and Pisces Iscariot even had some hits on it. And one of their most significant hits is actually a cover of of uh, Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. was on Pisces Iscariot and uh, the song Frail and Bedazzled had some minor radio play as well so like just like Billy's like here just toss these songs onto a record and release it and it'll be okay and that was successful in its own right and also introduce fans to the fact that this is a band that has other sounds I mean you mentioned like the landslide yeah you know uh, it's you know interesting to kind of realize like oh they have this Fleetwood Mac influence yep um, and and those other kinds of bands that have an influence on the band that I feel like very much shaped the different sounds that we hear on Melancholy yeah where you have this collection of there's you know just straightforward rock songs that you know fans who had heard Siamese Dream, you know, can recognize that, you know, loud, fuzzy pumpkin sound. Um, but there's also ballads on here, metal songs, basically, yeah. with, you know, like shredding guitars. Crazy long, weird songs with all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it seemed like a somewhat natural progression for the band, but it's still just crazy that this band sat down and were like, we're, we're going to do a double album, especially uh, you have to remember at the time for anyone who was buying CDs or anything at the time, <laughs> you know, c- CDs were like $15, yeah, never mind for, you know, one a, disc. for one disc, <laughs> never mind, you know, a double album that was tw- probably going to be, you know, at least like 25 bucks. Yeah. Totally. Um, you know, which I, I, I don't know to me that would, you know, I'm sure the record company and people were like, whoa, do you really want to do, you know, a double album? Because this would obviously affect It'd be a the sales. Sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a harder sell. Yeah. And when you look at other, you know, 90s rock bands at the time, no one. No one. Even yeah. se- seemingly considered doing something like yeah. that. Right. So uh, after uh, they they released Melancholy and it was it was even more successful in Siamese Dream, the band went on another lengthy tour and uh, unfortunately things did not go so well on the tour. Eventually, uh, the drummer Jimmy Chamberlain and the touring keyboardist uh, Jonathan Melvoin they uh, they were 
you know, heavy drug users and uh, uh, Jonathan Melvoin unfortunately died of an overdose uh, in a hotel room. And Jimmy Chamberlain uh, also overdosed at the same time, but he survived. And a little trivia here, the very, very popular song Angel by Sarah McLaughlin is about this incident. And read about this and she was very emotionally moved by the unfortunate passing of Jonathan Melvoin and obviously Jimmy Chamberlain's near-death experience and she wrote the song Angel which is like played all over the place yeah, nowadays yeah. so little little tidbit of information there uh, anyway so uh, Jimmy Chamberlain was fired from the Smashing Pumpkins after this tour uh, mishap you know where, where you know unfortunately somebody died and uh, the Pumpkins toured with a touring drummer for the rest of the tour uh, and then uh, they ended up releasing their next record without Jimmy Chamberlain the very electronic influence, the door, uh, which was, you know, at the time, people said like, oh, you know, like there's too much electronics here. It's weird, you know, but electronic stuff in the 90s was starting to get big, even with like bands like, you know, like all dance bands like The Prodigy and Underworld and all these like dance, you know, acts. Uh, so it was already like people were already getting used to electronic stuff. And even on Melancholy, there was already electronic stuff. With yeah, there's one, there, yeah, there's drum machines. Yeah, and, yeah keyboards other, yeah. and uh, all sorts of stuff. So uh, so Adore is more of a natural transition than, than you might have thought. Um, but uh but in reality, the reason that a door was that way is because they no longer had a real drummer and they had to resort to more electronic means. And Adore had, was successful, but not obviously not nearly as successful as Melancholy. And then Jimmy Chamberlain rejoined the band and the band continued on uh, releasing a, another double album that was released in a little bit different of a factor, but uh, similar, but two, uh, two part, yeah, two part two album part, called Machina. And, uh, and Billy at the time announced that Machina would be the last Pumpkins record. They would do a final tour and then that would be it. And, they did. And in 2000, the band permanently split and that was over uh, until they rejoined later, seven years later for another album and another tour and all that stuff. But uh, we're not going to go too deep into that. So, but just so you know, there are two timelines of the Smashing Pumpkins. There's from 1991 with Gish all the way through 2000. So nine years of, of the band existing. Uh, that is like, you know, the first stage and then they rejoined together in 2007 and released Zeitgeist and from 2007 to today um, where they actually right now are on a reunion tour uh, with three of the original members of the band um, Darcy Retsky did not rejoin um, so yeah they're they're still doing their thing and playing all these songs from Melancholy and Siamese Dream and Gish and whatever so uh, yeah lots lots of history going on for the group in this time period but uh, but we're going to focus mostly on Melancholy today We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast.
So Melancholy is a double album, meaning there's a ton of songs on here, but it's one of the few double albums where I feel like there's no filler. No it's, filler. It's, yeah. it's songs that have been thoroughly worked out, complete songs, um, not weird transitional things that you get in double albums where as we mentioned before sometimes when you're trying to tell a particular story or convey some kind of theme sometimes you end up with this weird filler stuff just to make the the story work so melancholy strange in that people kind of think of it as a concept album and i guess i do as well despite the fact that no one's probably sure exactly what that concept is aside from you know it's this collection of really um different feelings and different moments um that quote i mentioned from billy corgan just trying to capture yeah um how you know his generation at the time are are basically our generation yeah right um was you know feeling at the time so it hits on a lot of different emotions so it captures those feelings in a lot of different ways so we have very different styles of songs on here um we also have a lot of different instruments we had talked about how pumpkins tried to kind of throw in some electronic sounds here and there despite having a drummer there are songs with a drum machine drum on machine, them yep. um you know there's orchestra harps shakers they, they, <laughs> i mean anything you can think of is is somewhere yeah. on this piano. album the album piano, starts yeah. off with a piano an instrumental piano ballad I guess thematically it'd be really difficult to pick, you know, what the theme of the album really would be. Mm. But I guess the best theme that you could possibly say would just be like the theme of music. Like, cause I mean, like every single thing, I mean, there's a folk song. There's like, <laughs> there's, you know, uh, yeah, it is, yeah, it is a kind of an interesting yeah, celebration of, of just of music, music and in general, you know, yeah. like, uh, uh, everything i mean there's there's even like um I, I would even say like lily my one and only which is at the very very end of this of the album uh, track 26 i would even say that's almost like a like a 1920s sounding <laughs> kind of like little pop ditty or whatever about a kid who's peeping on a girl <laughs> it's just like really it's just everything it's like the kitchen sink album of just like what what music do we like let's write a song like that and mm. throw it on this record and i feel like also paying homage you mentioned lily where there's a who song called pictures of lily oh yeah, yeah. that you know and and i feel like and Billy's they, a huge huge yeah fan. and i feel like they do pay homage to bands that influence them um certainly you know on this album uh again going back to those synth and electronic sounds is a band that was very influenced by a lot of synth heavy 80s bands like the cars and joy division uh depeche mode yeah um so it's something that you know comes up and certainly uh, when they tour, they do a lot of, you know, they tend to do a lot of covers. Yeah. Um, I saw them, I think it was when they were touring with um, Oceana. Yeah. And um, they did a, a pretty lengthy cover of a, a Pink Floyd song. Yeah. Set the controls to the heart of the sun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they actively kind of want their audience to, I feel like, know where they're where, where, Yeah, where, where yeah. they're getting this from. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but I think one of the one of the one of the interesting things about Melancholy that kind of sets it apart from pretty much every double record that I can think of is that the the album is I mean, 
even something like The Wall, which is a very dense, long record, I, I think it's sh- probably shorter than this. Like, I, I don't know mm. what the time lengths are, but it certainly has less songs, like yeah. like less collective tracks. And a lot of just, you know, one minute, two minute yeah. things on there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but really what you have here is you have 28 songs on one record, five singles, and inside the record outside of those five singles, you still have other songs that could potentially be singles. And, uh, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today with, with love is that love is a song that lots of people already own, you know, like they already bought this record when they were, you know, when the, when the album was huge, if they're, if they're a little older, if they're in their late twenties, or early thirties, like us, uh, you know, they probably bought this record they, when they were a kid uh, or was gifted to them for Christmas <laughs> or whatever, you know? And, uh, and today people who buy full length records from, from iTunes or from, from wherever, or even if they don't buy it, even if they just listen to it through Spotify, this is probably an album if you're a rock fan or or a pop rock fan of any kind you've probably listened to some tracks from this record so you might even have some of these <laughs> songs in your collection and you know you're just not listening to it like i mean love is on one of the most successful records of all time from that decade and uh and it's number 115 on their itunes track so uh it's not exactly the most popular pumpkins track and i i mean i've been watching um the set list from their their reunion tour and I haven't seen this song pop up on the set list. Um, it's 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 a straight pop rock song, you know, um, just like something like Zero would be, or or even 1979. It, uh, love is a little louder, but uh, um, you know, same kind of basic structure: chorus, verse, chorus, verse, kind of thing, bridge, whatever. Uh, nothing too crazy, uh, and it's got that kind of like spacey kind of sound that 1979 has. So it's like. On this record, there's so much material that they 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 had too many hit singles. <laughs> We're like, we can only release five singles from this record, and uh, and this one just you know, love unfortunately got kind of pushed aside for for other stuff. Okay, so we were talking about how Love could have been one of the singles off this record. Um, you know, follows the pop song structure, has a pretty catchy chorus, but probably one of the things, and I mean, it's obviously something that's on all the other singles, is that Billy Corgan voice. Yes. Um, something that probably fans, if, if anyone's who heard the Pumpkins, probably something that immediately turns you into a fan or turns you off exactly uh, to, yeah. to, to the band totally yeah um billy corgan has this very distinctive nasally whine <laughs> i i, I, <laughs> I think mean, that's appropriate i think that's an appropriate descriptor for it yeah. i mean it he whale he, yeah he, whale he, he's good too yeah, yeah i mean he does different things with it you know puts a growl on it yeah. you know i had it 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 you know has some places to go um, but can be kind of grating. Yeah. Um, and you can imagine if it's a voice that you're not a huge fan of, 
listening to a double album that's running, you know, like two hours long of, of listening to this voice, um, you know, will probably drive you crazy. Yeah. But, um, I, I remember, you know, growing up, uh, one of my, one of my very best friends, uh, her name is Jen and, uh, we used to argue all the time about the pumpkins and, uh, cause she did not like them at all. And, uh, and one of the main reasons is because of the voice. She was just like, I just can't get by how annoying he is. He just sounds annoying. And, and it's like, I get that. I, I can, you know, I can immediately understand why someone would say that. Yeah. Um, but for me, I feel like that's just, that's the way he sings, you know, like that's mm. just, that's just how he gets across his emotions. You know, it's like he, 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 he has a lot, you you can, you can argue a lot of things about Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins, but you can't, there, no one could possibly deny that Billy is a, is very passionate about his music, his band, uh, you know, everything to do with, with, with his, his craft and the way he gets across that passion is by doing his voice whale mm, yeah. thing. You know, that's just how he does it. And for me as a fan, and we'll touch on this a bit later, but, um, in, in the modern day today, uh, you know, if you were to go see the Smashing Pumpkins play, uh, Billy's older and he doesn't do it anymore. He, he, yeah. he holds back a lot on the wailing and he sings more like a normal person would sing. And for me, it sounds like shit. Like I hate it. Like I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I don't even want to see like, this this reunion tour that they're doing, I don't I don't even want to go because I've seen videos on YouTube of them playing and whatever, and I just I can't I can't get into it because it sounds like the band is awesome, like the band is feeling that passion, and Billy is just not. He's just like you know, despite all my rage, I am still you know whatever, and I'm like, yeah. this, ugh, you know, it's no it's, Billy, sing, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, so I feel like people kind of get turned off by, it. and with this song, love, like it's. This is trademark yeah, Billy Whale. Yeah. Like this is like thick, heavy, ah, you know, and uh, and that could you could hate it, and that's you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of why we picked Love is uh, we had talked about all the different kinds of sounds that are on this album, but this is classic kind of that pumpkin sound that they really developed from early in their career, and certainly has you know, the, the presence that is on, uh, Siamese dream, yeah. like that, that just fuzzy guitar sound, um, a little bit of flange in there. It's giving this kind of sweeping noise yeah, in like the background spacey, space rock kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I think you have to say when you listen to Smash pumpkins is Billy's voice not only conveys that passion, but almost needs to sound like that in order to cut through yeah. all the other sound that's in there. Yeah, it, it I totally helps agree. it yeah, it helps it stand out, helps you, you know, hear something else amidst all the the crunching that is going on i mean it's it's just they're a great loud live band yeah and and that was part of the thinking behind recording melancholy is to capture this power of the band as as a live band um because of kind of all the the overdubbing and and being super careful about every part um that this was a little bit looser i mean the songs are definitely you know, work through, um, and, and, and and meticulously put together. Um, but it's, it's a little bit of a, a freer sounding band where I, I feel like some, sometimes in listening to melancholy, it feels like, 
you're listening to the band live and sometimes you are because yeah, they've just re- recorded it. this arm from you know beginning to end yeah um playing it live in the studio yeah uh the the production team uh on uh melancholy uh a guy who goes by the name flood and alan Mulder, uh they um the pair of them both agreed that they had seen the pumpkins play live and they had heard siamese dream and gish and 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 the previous stuff and they they both agreed that they had never heard the smashing pumpkins live act actually on a record and they wanted to try to capture that and uh i i feel um that they didn't like i feel that they they, they recorded the core sound of what the pumpkins sound like live and, and it sounds great but uh on the reissue of melancholy they they released this this live collection called live from the dark globe which i think is like 16 tracks and all the songs from oh well, every song except for one is a melancholy song and uh even a song like um, like Fuck You, An Ode to No One, which is on this album. I mean, when you hear the live version that they were doing on the tour, it is twice as fast, incredibly heavy, and it's like, I don't know, I've never heard anything like it before. There is nothing I would definitely captured more of the live sound of the Smashing Pumpkins on Melancholy than they did on previous records because they they did it live like with Siamese Dream and Gish like it was you know Jimmy would lay down a drum track and then he would vanish and go do drugs somewhere like and then Billy Corgan would come in and he'd play everything he'd play the guitar he'd play the bass he'd play you know the, the keyboards everything he'd just overlay track after track after track on top of what Jimmy had did and then that was it so with this album they really just you know got in the, 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 the room and played all four of them together and recorded that and uh, I think on a track like love with that sloppy flangy fuzzy sound you know um yeah like you said like they need something to cut through that that stuff um and it should be also noted that in music history it's not like billy corgan is the first guy to whine on a on a rock record yeah, like i, I mean like it's been, and not even in the 90s you know like um you know you've got uh you know like uh acdc you know i mean that guy is like <laughs> You know, like he doesn't even have tone. Like, <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, uh, even going back as far as like Robert Plant, like Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, he did a lot of whining in his day. And then you've got uh, uh, Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses. Like, like there are plenty yeah, there of is, other there's bands. There's a ton of singers who kind of do their own yeah. thing. Yeah. That, and, and, and almost have to just based on the sound of the band. Yeah. It, it's just, that's just, just yeah, yeah. How, how it goes. Um yeah, so uh, so with 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 love, I can see that somebody who's maybe already not a Smashing Pumpkins fan because of Billy's voice, they would also dislike this song. But if you're somebody who enjoys Billy's voice or or at least can tolerate it, uh, love is a a terrific terrific pop song with a terrific hook and a great chorus. And I mean, it's it's everything that you would want from a Smashing Pumpkins single. So I'm more of uh, a casual fan. I love Melancholy, love, you know, most of the Smash Pumpkins greatest hits, that kind of thing. 
Um, but one thing that I think has always been hard for me um, as as a Pumpkins semi-fan. Yeah, I, I, fan. I think I said a casual, <laughs> a fan, fan, a casual plus. fan plus. <laughs> yeah, that's what I call um, it. <laughs> is, you know, I like the sound. Billy's voice doesn't bother me that much. Occasionally, I'm, you know, roll my eyes or something. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's the lyrics sometimes yeah, that I yeah. just can't get behind. And, and love has some of that in it. Yeah. Um, where I, I don't think it's unique in that way. Cause in, you know, some of the other hits, there are definitely some, some lines where you're just like, I don't even know, you know, it, it's, yeah, what it's just trying to say. Yeah. Here, it's just know? a like, thing he does. And I'm not sure if it's to I think rhyme something I think or it's the pretentiousness. I think it's the fact that he thinks that he's like being poetic, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so like what, you know, what one set of the lines is towards the beginning, she shimmy shakes the Jimmy Jakes of consequence. <laughs> okay. Born of the airs and dues, my airs of madness do declare. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little ridiculous. But, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, uh, you know, uh, the, the beginning of the chorus, it's what you wanted to see, it's who you wanted to be for what you needed to need. She'll make it up. Love, it's who you know. I love that. Great. You I know, love that. it's yeah. like brilliant. It's a, I feel like that's kind of that's kind of like the Smashing Pumpkins thing. It's like moments of brilliance, like pure musical genius mixed with not so much, you know. Uh, and 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 that's why kind of like the charm of 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 melancholy in itself is that there is a lot of stuff here, and some of the stuff you may not dig, you know. But but I think j- even in the lyrics, Billy tends to do this like you know, more is more, <laughs> you know, like mm, just throw yeah. everything in there and have it make sense. But yeah, I agree that this, 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 the lyrics for this particular song are not, uh, do not exactly speak to me all that much, but, um, you know, there's a couple things in here like, uh, machine gun blues. Her vacant rush is so steel. That's kind of cool. Like I kind of dig that. That's kind of got like, I kind of like the, the Hendrix yeah. possibly machine gun. Yeah. Reference, it's, you know, it's cool. You know, I got, I got it. I, I'm in there with him, you know, but, but yeah, the Jimmy Jakes, like what, what the hell is he talking about? Especially <laughs> starting the song. I, I, I just feel like it should be one of those things where if, if the lyrics get weird by the second or third verse, at yeah. least you're like in the song. Right. As opposed to just like, I'm going to put this right up front. <laughs> so when you turn it on, <laughs> this is, this is like what, where you're going to be. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I I think there's something to be said though that they they know a good catchy hooky chorus. Absolutely, yeah. And, and this and, is and, and yeah, this this song is perfect for that. Yeah, you listen um, to the song once and you're you're humming the chorus immediately, like it's right there. Yeah, so I feel like, um, yeah, the verses you're almost yeah not entirely like i i don't think I knew until I looked at the lyrics for the song exactly what that line even was, you know, I mean, I mean, you, you, it's not like you can't hear or understand what he's saying, but I think sometimes you're just like, is it really Jimmy? Jakes? Is it really Jimmy it really, Jakes? Really Jimmy Who's Jakes? Jimmy Jakes? <laughs> um, but I mean, you, you had mentioned before that passion that mm. Billy Corgan has. He's and committed. I mean that, that, and I'm, that kind of is more important than the things he's saying. Yeah. Cause even though you don't know specifically what the hell he's talking about, <laughs> you know, you, you still get the same feeling of, um, the song, which obviously, you know, the theme is love and it's how love can make you crazy and do all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and I, and I feel like that song 
you know it it's successful because it it captures that right it may not capture it line for line yeah you know yeah but, but the but the overall yeah feeling One thing I think that really sums up Melancholy for me, and especially Love um, as a song, is the kind of cinematic quality that Smash Pumpkins give their records and their songs, um, where there's just... You, we talked before about you know the pretension and but Smash Pumpkins to me are always such a like grandiose band yeah. they always try to do it do it big <laughs> whatever it is and I feel like this album they held nothing back yeah um, just in the sheer amount of songs and the quality of songs the different elements they try to throw in there they really just throw everything at the wall and, and see what sticks for fans yeah and I feel like also saying cinematic is, um, you know, we could just have a whole discussion about the videos and the oh, album yeah. art yeah. and just, I mean, I, I think that was one thing. If you had the CD or um, had had a physical copy of this album, I remember the the two booklets. Yeah, where two one booklets. where one <laughs> one was just like art. Yeah. One was this like collage art that. Um, represented the album and then the other one was just lyrics yeah the full lyrics um lyrics of every song yeah. and i mean even just the act of of doing that yeah <laughs> where you know sometimes you'd have like a little fold out insert that would yeah you right. know you might get all the lyrics in there you might not yeah um but it was just quality yeah i i think is just one thing when i think of smashing pumpkins i might not like the album i might not like certain songs i for what in terms of you know what they've done later yeah um but i can't ever fault them for feeling like they were just trying to take my money yeah and, right and they just, get, a, get a hit and take my money trying to cash in yeah you know yeah. like billy's gonna phone it in whatever and and i mentioned this earlier but he he is phoning it in on the tours now like you, you can just see it you know i don't if, if you after you're done listening to the skipped on shuffle episode go to youtube and watch some of the youtube stuff that that uh that they're doing right now and you can just see he's just phoning it in and just just go you know view a youtube track of them playing you know bullet with butterfly wings in 1995 and then in nine in in 2008 and you'll see like the, the the huge difference in in his in his commitment to what they're playing. Mm. Uh, but as far as their records go, yeah, you're right. I mean, like they you can't buy a Pumpkins record and come home and think to yourself like, eh, they just phoned this in. Like he's always committing fully 100 percent to everything that he does. And um, and with with Melancholy, I mean, this is this is his masterpiece. Like there's no question. Yeah. Like he will never make another record as good as this ever again. And and um, you know, this is this is going to be the you know, this is like the quadrophenia of the nineties. This is the album that people generations from now are going to go back to and somebody's gonna say, Describe the nineties to me, and they're gonna have to mention this album. Yeah. Like it's just yep. that's just how it's gonna be. And uh and you know, that's all that's 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 Billy's commitment and that's Billy's passion. And so yeah, it's like you may not like 
the Smashing Pumpkins as a group or whatever. You may not even like the song that we're covering today, Love or whatever, but I guarantee you that if there's anything, if you like any music whatsoever, there's at least one song on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness that you will enjoy. And uh, and who can say that about about a band? You know, like, can you say that about like, I don't know, the Strokes, you know, it's like, if you don't like one song by the Strokes, you're not going to like any of them because they're all the same, you know? And so it's like, uh, with, with, with the, with the pumpkins, it's like, there's so much to get into. And maybe that's daunting too. Maybe that's, maybe yeah. that's why people sort of like navigate away. They're like, Oh my God, like, you know, they've got all these records and, and one of these, one of the records is 28 songs. Like, how am I going to even begin? And, and to, to kind of reflect back on it, you know, there, there was a reissue that, you know, gave, gave you, yeah, gave you even greater insight into this band was being insanely prolific yeah. and had a ton of songs. And even these 28 songs are culled down from whatever, 60, 70, like, yeah. who knows how many they I, had. I would assume there's over a hundred songs. Yeah. You know, just like maybe not completely finished. But I certainly, yeah, ideas. Yeah. Like just a hundred ideas that Billy, Ke- and he's like, we're going to knock this down to, to 28 songs. And, and, and they did, you know, and, uh, I think that Melancholy came at a certain time, you know, and it was successful at that time. Like, you know, if anybody tried to release a double album like Melancholy Infinite Sadness right now, I mean, it would be a dismal feel. Yeah. And I'm not even sure what bands could have done it back then at, at that point in yeah. time. Maybe, maybe Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam yeah. seems like they, 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 they have a double album in them. Mm. Um, you know, but, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Nine Inch Nails released a, a double album yeah, not, not long, not long after, uh, this record. And one could argue, I'm sure that Trent would not have, you know, uh, tried to yeah, release had a there album, not been had, another one, had but, Melancholy yeah, not yeah. have been successful. Um, you know, so, so I think that Melancholy is part of its own time but i think that it's it's an important time and i think that there's so much going on here that if you are only listening to bullet butterfly wings tonight tonight in 1979 and then thinking to yourself that you know this album you're missing out on so much and love is such an easy entry point you know like we could have done for this episode we could have done something really dense like through the eyes of ruby or porcelain of the vast oceans or even something like xyu which are like Awesome songs. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Amazing, amazing songs, but they're crazy. And it'd be difficult for somebody who's just like, I really like 1979 to get into that. But if you start in the, down the path of this record, you're going to find so much stuff that you really enjoy. And you know, you just gotta, you just gotta start down that path. And it may seem daunting because it's a, it's a long path of two plus hours of songs, but, uh, but it's so worth it. And, and, and songs like love, are are gonna are gonna be in there and and you're missing out on them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Be sure to visit our webpage at skippedonshuffle.com where we have a blog and links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also a YouTube page where we perform the songs that we discuss in these episodes. We are trying our best to keep Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free podcast. So if you are interested in helping to support that, please visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. Any donations that come there could go straight to keeping uh, Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free experience and go straight to paying for the various costs that are associated with running this podcast.